merchant vessel Caliban requesting assistance. We are down and disabled on Death Steel. Please respond. Donna Noble swerved out of the way as a madman in a brown pinstripe suit dashed around the TARDIS console. The Doctor. That lanky streak of madness. Can you find them? Trying. Masses of interference, said the Doctor. Caliban, can you boost your signal? Mayday, Mayday. This is Merchant Vessel Caliban requesting assistance. We are down and disabled on Death Steel. Please respond. It's a recording. The Doctor hit a button and multiple voices echoed around the control room. The Doctor released the button and silenced the cacophony. There's dozens of them. Hundreds, confirmed the Doctor. He hesitated. What are we waiting for? We have to go down there. Some of these signals are very old, Donna. But not all of them. And I'm guessing this planet's called Death's Deal for a reason. We'll just have to take our chances. The Doctor smiled. I was so hoping you'd say that. And he yanked the materialization lever. Death Steel, here we come. Doctor Who, Death Steel, performed by Catherine Tate with Duncan Wisby as Crux and Erskine. They'd landed in a valley that was sand and shingle underfoot. Surrounding them were wind-carved mountains looking like a sunset of solid cloud. A thick grey sky hung above. It felt humid and smelt of damp. It's the middle of nowhere. The doctor patted the blue box. Why have you landed us here, eh? A large shadow swooped over them. The doctor and Donna looked up and saw a small spacecraft descending its wingtip engines barely making a whisper as it touched down with gentle ease. See? We're not the only ones galloping to the rescue. Is it some sort of ambulance ship? The doctor shook his head. Transport freighter. Well, whoever they are, they can muck in and help. Donna began to approach the vessel. The freighter was old. Its hull had been patched up perhaps many times and its nameplate was part corroded. The attraction, it read. She could see figures moving around a forward cockpit, while at the rear, a large ramp lowered to the surface. People emerged, looking more like a Mardi Gras parade than a rescue mission. There was a mix of species and a variety of practical and impractical outfits. One group of giggling skinny aliens reminded Donna of a Saturday night hen party. Leading the way out was a bandy-legged, bipedal creature in an ill-fitting spacesuit. Its head was bald, with mottled black and orange skin. Words spluttered from its amphibious mouth. This way, ladies and gentlemen and others. I'm Hickory Frims, your guide on Death's Deal. Please don't venture too far from the attraction. Remember, this is a strict two-minute touchdown and we don't wait for stragglers. I was wrong. It's not a rescue ship, said the doctor. It's a tour boat. What? Holiday makers? But there are people out there who need help. Right, enough of this nonsense. Oi, you lot, what's going on? As Donna marched towards the odd crowd, the tourists reacted with shock. A tall woman, wearing an ornate feathered headdress, looked aghast. Who are you? This is supposed to be a private tour. Put a sock in it. Pocahontas. We're here to help people in trouble. The woman bristled. How dare you? I'm Mistress Queen. 
of the Orkite Guild and... Whatever! Didn't you hear the distress calls? The doctor held out the sonic screwdriver and turned on the spot. 693 signals, to be precise, he said. None of them are alive, scoffed Frims, the amphibious tour leader. How do you know? Frims looked at Donna as if talking to a fool. Because this is death's deal. Funny name, isn't it, said the doctor. What exactly is the deal? The deal is you die quickly. Crash here and nobody rescues you. You don't live long enough. This is the deadliest planet in the galaxy. Frims nodded towards the TARDIS. I suggest you leave in your capsule as soon as possible. Donna noticed that she had to keep shifting her feet to stay balanced on the uneven shingle. Even so, there didn't appear to be any immediate danger. She saw that Mistress Quilleen had moved away and was probing the ground with a small handheld device. How come you're happy to sit down? asked the Doctor of Frims. I know it's the 49th century and everyone's off exploring the great unknown, but you don't look like the adventurous type. No offence. Frims tried to muster some dignity. Some thrill-seekers will pay a small fortune to boast that they've walked on this planet. Plus, I know all the relatively safe spots. Safe from what, exactly? There's life all over this planet. It's teeming. Trust me, sir, said Frims. You don't want to meet any of it. Donna watched Quilleen remove the probe from the ground and point it skyward, but was distracted by having to shift her footing again. The shingle continued to move beneath her, and now Donna was aware of a vibration. The ground was shaking, causing everyone to check their balance. Concern blossomed on Frim's face. The amphibian turned to his passengers and screamed, Get back to the ship! Immediately, the doctor grabbed Donna's hand and hauled her towards the TARDIS. The blue box was only a few strides away when the ground exploded, sending sand and grit flying through the air. The Doctor and Donna used their arms to shield themselves from the debris. Where the TARDIS had stood, there was now a huge disembodied throat soaring into the sky, ending in a three-tusked maw that gripped the time machine. Chowing down, it suddenly gulped and swallowed the TARDIS whole. Terrified tourists screamed in panic. The attraction was already airborne and passengers clung to the rapidly closing ramp as the craft descended. Some were stranded on the ground, including Frims, who bellowed and shook his fists at the pilot's cockpit. Come back, you fickle jelly spawn! The monstrous throat writhed as it scaled to more than 200 feet. Then its maw split open and stretched into a fan of spiked fronds, fully exposing the three tusks. Rearing back like a cobra, it struck out at the attraction, piercing the ship's hull. Donna saw a shower of sparks light up the cockpit and transform the ship into a fireball. Seared by the flames, the creature howled and shook off the craft, which span across the sky and disintegrated before it could hit the ground. The monster thrashed from side to side and then plunged back beneath the surface with such force that Donna fell forward, sprawling into the grit. The creature had gone, but the shingle rolled towards the sinkhole it had created and Donna found that she was rushing down with it. Doctor! The doctor grasped her hand and dug his rubber-clad heels into the ground. I've got you, he said, but despite his efforts they were both slipping towards their doom. Then Donna saw something reach over the sinkhole's ridge, a twist of snake-like tentacles. Doctor! Behind you! But it was too late. The tentacles ensnared the doctor's arm and pulled him up into the air. Hang on to me, Donna! As he was hauled away, Donna gripped his free arm with both her hands. Yanked clear of the sinkhole, she soon found herself rolling across the sand. Donna, are you okay? The doctor was there by her side, helping her to her feet. I think so. Some thing had a hold of you. The doctor thumbed behind his back. New friend, he said. Behind the doctor stood an eight-foot-tall creature. Donna recognised it from the tourist party, and the phrase that immediately popped into her head was walking barnacle. It was humanoid 
and yet the arms, legs and bulky body were formed from a shell-like substance. The hands and feet were nests of pale yellow tentacles and its head was squidgy with a puckered mouth set below two protruding eyes. Thank you, said the doctor to the creature. I'm the doctor. This is Donna. The alien spoke with a soft, watery voice. I am Crux. The creature extended his strange appendages. The doctor just stared for a moment and then clasped them in his hand. Oh, of course, always happy to shake a tentacle. Donna? With some trepidation, Donna did the same and found the sensation less alarming than the sight. What are you? By profession, I am an anthropologist, but I suppose you meant what species? Oh, yeah, that was rude. Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit new to all this. I am a mimicite from the planet Seretesh, a planet not unlike this one, but different in so many ways. Enough of these pleasantries, chimed Quilleen. We are in a little trouble. Frims bobbed up and down in agitation. You are... Absolutely right, Mistress Quilleen. You, Mr. Frims, have a responsibility to get us off this planet. She scorned. Frims wrung his hands. In the event of accident, loss or destruction of transport, the company's responsibilities are null and void as stated in the terms and conditions. Typical customer service, spat Quilleen. Then I suggest we get to higher ground. Donna turned. There were two further survivors, both of them humanoid. One was a tall, skinny youth wearing a sleeveless jerkin. He had a shaven head and intricate tattoos etched from his wrists to his shoulders. He looked barely out of his teens but carried a slim laser rifle as if he'd been born holding it. Next to him stood an equally young woman. She was pale with short jet black hair and carried a haunted unease about her. There's always one with a gun, muttered the doctor. Tad Grugan, space pirate, human, said the youth. There's only one place we're going. Yes, higher ground, insisted Quilleen. You can shoot me if you wish. She turned on her heels and strode away. And the ground beneath her sprung alive. Quilleen vanished before Donna had time to flinch. Long, crab-like legs had dragged the woman down into some hidden, chomping maw. Donna glared at the space pirate. Don't just watch! Shoot it! Too late! She's gone! Said Grugan. You could have tried, said the doctor. Grugan shrugged. He pulled a small receiver from his belt and studied it. Look on the positive side. Now it's eaten. It won't bother us. The creature had settled once again and was completely camouflaged. Donna was already unsure where it lay hidden. Quilleen might as well have never existed. Donna looked at the pale young woman. What about you, pirate girl? Gonna do nothing like your boyfriend? I'm just along for the thrill ride, came a cool but unconvincing reply. And he's not my boyfriend. Grugan called to her. Lyric, come here, babes. Lyric gave the doctor and Donna a studied look before ambling over to join the space pirate. We're all dead, muttered Frims. Nobody will come for us. This planet is off limits. It's illegal to be here. What about the other tourist ships? Asked the doctor. Other landing sites? You must have rivals. We tracked one ship, said Frims. Belongs to Saul Harrod, the worst double-crossing, unscrupulous... Where? demanded the doctor. Where will it land? Frims nodded down the valley. That way, but it's miles. We have to skirt the coral fields. Nobody chooses to go there. Oh, I see, said the doctor, looking beyond the valley. Donna followed his gaze. What are you looking at? Those weird mountains? They're not mountains said the doctor. They're giant coral, humid climate, acid rain. This planet is one massive reef of land coral, alive and always hungry. No wonder it's called the deadliest planet in the galaxy. And we have to walk towards it. Good, cut in Grugan. Because that's the way we're going. Got a death wish, have you? Tad's looking for a ship, said Lyric. The howling Jupiter. It crashed years ago, supposedly full of treasure. The real reason this planet's off limits, added Grugan. Donna folded her arms. And how are you going to find it? Grugan waved the receiver in his hand. I've pinpointed the howling Jupiter's distress beacon. The beeping signal bothered Donna. It seemed very familiar. What's that? Is that... That 
can't be Morse code. How's that for old school? said the doctor. Let's see. A double L O N. He stopped and looked at Donna with a triumphant grin. Alonzi! But, Doctor, that can't be coincidence. What does this mean? It means we have to find the howling Jupiter, said the Doctor. That distress signal is a message for me. Beyond the valley lay the coral field. Polyps of coral combined to form a forest of fantasy creatures, a kaleidoscopic landscape that stretched over the horizon. Eccentric living sculptures twisted into the sky, whilst others spread sideways, like petrified trees, and some smoothed across the ground, resembling frozen waves. Donna could see squirming fronds filtering the air, and at a merciful distance, two huge organic towers, one indigo, one vermilion, engaged in battle, throwing out spores and feelers in a fight for dominance. It was nightmarish and strangely beautiful. Oh, that's impressive, said the doctor, taking in the living landscape. Never seen anything like it before. Love it when that happens. The howling Jupiter lay crumpled on the edge of the coral field. As Grugan led them forwards, Donna noticed that the coral surrounding the ship had formed a horseshoe pattern. I know how coral works. It grows over everything. If this wreck's been here for years, then why hasn't the coral moved in? Maybe it's retreating from it, said the doctor. Grugan was already clambering inside the hull. Who's helping me gather the treasure then? Crux stood motionless. I will keep watch outside. Grugan pointed his rifle at Frims. The amphibian raised his hands. I will gladly help, of course. How could I refuse a treasure hunt, so long as you cut me in? My money or your life, said Grugan, without irony. We're checking the signal, said the doctor. Come on, Donna. Keep an eye on them, Lyric, said Grugan, and he disappeared through the hull with Frims. What is his problem? Fifth generation space pirate, explained Lyric. The only thing he trusts is the gun in his hands. He trusts you. Lyric shook her head. No, he thinks I need him to get off this rock. The flight deck was surprisingly intact, but the shattered forward view screen had let the elements inside. Over the years, corrosion had done irreparable damage. No remains of the crew, like they were never here. The doctor examined the central control panel. Residual power, but the sensors are shattered. Pity thought I might have been able to locate the TARDIS. Your blue capsule? asked Lyric. It was destroyed. No, no, it was eaten, said the doctor. There's a difference. Donna heard an echo back aft and realised that Grugan must have found his treasure. Funny thing is, there's a secondary signal hidden inside the distress call, said the doctor. Who's leaving me messages on a random derelict spaceship? Any ideas? Dunno. Intergalactic call centres? Trying to spam me for space insurance? I never buy insurance, said the Doctor. On the control panel, a small screen glowed and a snowy picture appeared. Donna saw a geeky-looking young man with big hair, a bow tie and strangely familiar eyes. What? said the Doctor, staring at the image. No. What? Hello, me, said the young man enthusiastically. How am I? Look, I sort of kept the hair. Had to move it up a bit, but it's not too bad, although Ginger would have been cool, wouldn't it, Donna Noble? Is this Bozo? Me, said the doctor. From the future. But he looks younger. Blimey, that's major work you'll have done. More than a nip and tuck. Donna! Doctor looked affronted. Future me is talking. The young man continued. Sorry for leaving a message on a random derelict spaceship, but there's something important I need you to do, and I'm afraid it's going to be highly dangerous. You see, this really is the deadliest planet in the galaxy, not because of the coral, although that will kill you, but because of what's underneath the surface. Slaughter crystals. Donna saw the Dr. Blanche. Whatever slaughter crystals were, they were not good. 
The young man's tone became deadly serious. The Wraith Mining Cartel is on its way right now. They're criminally insane and will bulldoze the planet to get what they want. I know you need to get people to safety, but you must also stop Wraith or millions upon millions will die. What must I do, said the doctor through gritted teeth. The future doctor smiled. And now you're asking yourself, what must I do? I never doubted you, I know you best of all, and you, sir, are so good with dangerous. Go deep into the coral field. There you'll find a survivor, Professor Merritt Erskine. He has proof that the slaughter crystals exist. The TARDIS is stuck somewhere underground. Find it and transmit that proof to galactic authorities. Oh, and make sure you save Erskine. I'm out of time. Good luck, Doctor. After me, you're the greatest. The screen went blank. Slaughter crystals, snarled the Doctor. Bad, right? Very rare, very toxic. And when refined, highly explosive. Bombs powerful enough to devastate planets. Every civilized society has banned their extraction. But how did Wraith find out? Asked Lyric. Pocahontas? I mean, that woman, Quilleen, I saw her using some kind of probe. She must have sent confirmation, said the doctor. Lyric was staring hard at the blank screen. He said there was a survivor, Erskine. Could it really be true? Well, my future self said so, said the doctor, and I'm rarely wrong. What did you think of that hair, by the way? What do you mean, future self? Asked Lyric. He looked nothing like you. Are you a shapeshifter? No, not really, although I had a friend who was. Then you must be a master of disguise. Nah, said the doctor. That was my arch enemy. That noise again, louder and somewhere above them. This time the doctor noticed it too. Let's go said the doctor, and he ushered them back towards the hull breach. There they ran into Grugan and Frims, who were squeezing through the wreckage from the opposite direction. That was a waste of time, said Frims. Not to mention the distress to my equilibrium. Shut it, Toadie, said Grugan. Not find what you were looking for, Tad? asked Lyric. Nothing but spoiled food packs, no value to anyone but a rock fly. Can we leave now? pleaded Frims. The doctor turned to the space pirate. Grugan, I'm trusting you to get everyone to that landing site. I have to go into the coral field, alone. Hang on a minute, I'm coming with you. Donna, please. Doctor, I've seen that Tom Hanks movie, Plane Crash, Desert Island. If there's a survivor, the safest place is with him. I'm coming too, said Lyric, to Grugan's surprise. Sorry, Tad, you're good with a gun, but I'll take my chances with the doctor. A survivor, said Grugan. That might explain where the treasure went. So now I can't let you go alone, can I, Doctor? You're insane, spluttered Frims in exasperation. You want to go into the coral field? That's suicide. Millions of lives depend on it, said the Doctor. Crux appeared at the ragged opening. Doctor, we have unwelcome company. Everybody out, the Doctor yelled. Nobody needed to tell Frims twice. The tour guide pushed past Crux and raced out of the shipwreck. When Donna emerged, she saw Frims standing stiff and upright. In his path was a massive waist-high limpet, shuffling forwards on a rippling foot. A fleshy tube extended from its top, flaring into a cone that hovered in Frims' face. Donna caught the whiff of a sickly sweet smell like rotting fruit and saw a thin hooked barb emerge from the cone. All the while, the hapless tour guide stood motionless. Frims, don't just stand there, move! Barb shot forward and pierced Frims's chest. He barely gasped and didn't even struggle as the limpet hauled him closer. Quickly the cone stretched wide and slipped over Frims's whole body, sealing him inside a digestive cocoon. Donna's stomach turned as Frims was liquidised and sucked inside the limpet like a smoothie through a straw. It was a horrific death, but Donna couldn't rip her eyes away. The noise behind made her reel. Dozens of limpets covered the hull of the howling Jupiter, with more dropping from the coral overhangs above. Donna's blood ran cold, but when she tried to run, she could barely move a finger. There was a limpet on the ground not two metres from her, its cone unfurling and expelling that sickly sweet aroma. She guessed it was some sort of toxic gas, paralysing her. With mounting dread, Donna watched the deadly barb emerge and snake towards her heart. Oh God, she thought. I'm going to die. 
cone exploded and the limp convulsed in agony. Donna felt the doctor's arms around her, pulling her away. Breathe deep. Donna was half dragged and half stumbled away until they were out of range of the paralysing gas. Now, though, they were cut off from the open ground. Their only possible escape was into the coral field. Donna felt the numbness in her body slowly fading. Thank you. Thank her, the doctor replied, nodding towards Lyric, who held the discharged laser rifle. Don't mention it, said Lyric, and threw the weapon back to Grugan. He scowled. Pinch that again, babes, and you might find yourself on the wrong end of it. If you'd acted sooner, babes, Frims would still be alive. Crux pointed to the limpets. Those gastropods are still advancing. Lots of them. There were too many to count, let alone to shoot, and all moving surprisingly fast. Donna caught a hint of that terrible sweet smell again. Can you run? The doctor asked. She nodded. Then run. He hurtled into the coral field. Keep moving and try not to touch any coral. Donna was still unsteady on her feet. Lyric and Grugan raced ahead, leaving only Crux behind her. Donna felt faint, as if she might fall. No, she must keep going. She mustn't lose it now. But she did really feel as if she was falling. Why hadn't she hit the ground yet? Because she was falling a long, long way. Donna felt tentacles reaching around her body and realised that Crux was falling with her, down and down, scraping against the rough rock until... Donna lay on top of Crux. He had broken her fall and without doubt saved her life. Thankfully, he began to stir. He was still alive. They were at the bottom of a deep chasm at a convergence of tunnels. Far above, she saw a slit of sky and the doctor's tiny face peering down. Donna? Donna? I'm okay. We're both okay. Donna, I can't reach you. The doctor looked off. There's no time to reach you. They're coming. We'll find a way out. I'll be okay, doctor. Go and find Erskine. Do, do what you need to do. I'll look for the TARDIS. Make myself useful. The doctor smiled. Like always, Donna Noble. Here. He dropped something down to her. Donna caught the pen torch. And this too, called the doctor. Something fell at her feet. She picked it up. It was the TARDIS key. If you find the TARDIS, when you find the TARDIS, send me a signal. And then he was gone, just as a limpet shuffled into view. Donna looked at the dark tunnels and switched on the torch. It only had a short beam. Crux got to his feet, raised an arm in front of him and splayed his tentacles. Allow me to assist. You've got glowing tentacles. Tentacles that actually glow. My people can radiate a natural phosphorescence. We use it to attract a mate. Hey, watch it! But it should also help light the way ahead. All right then, nice party trick, I'll give you that. And together, they step towards the unknown. The Doctor led Lyric and Grugan away from the carnivorous limpets. Eventually they stopped to rest on a craggy rise among a confusion of trees. The branches created a vein-like canopy across the sky. The Doctor looked back. There was no sign of anything pursuing them. I think we're safe, he said, leaning against a tree trunk. For the moment. He glanced at Lyric and saw the terror on her face as a branch swayed in the wind. Except there was no wind. The tree was not a tree. The branching limbs were reaching down, a hundred shoots with thousands of offshoots ending in spiky buds, all searching for food. The doctor dived and rolled as the branches swept the ground where he stood. They brushed back and forth as if desperate, certain they had missed a tasty morsel. The doctor jumped up and backed away. You've led us into a death trap, said Grugan. Lyric stared up at the canopy. Now they're all moving! The active tree coral had woken those around it and like a ripple in a pool, the danger spread quickly as more creatures joined the hunt. Before she realised, a frond brushed against Lyric's leg and dug in its spines. Ah, oh, Tad! Stop 
lift her. It pulled her to the ground and then lifted her upside down into the air. The doctor leapt up and grabbed both of Lyric's arms. I've got you, he said. But now the tree coral was lifting him off the ground too. Grugan, help us! Grugan fired his laser, but the branches were so spindly that he hit nothing but air. Just grab me, yelled the doctor. Grugan ran full pelt and launched himself at the doctor. He slammed into the Time Lord, grabbing his waist. The three of them swung in the air, but the weight was too much for the branch. Lyric slipped from its grasp and they all crashed to the ground. The tree corals lashed out in a frenzy. It wouldn't be long before they would find them again. The doctor weighed up the best line of escape and took a gamble. This way, he said, and grabbed Lyric's hand, pulling her with him. Grugan didn't hesitate to follow, but the ground was rough, slowing them down. The tree corals seemed to go on forever, and now they had sensed blood. Then, out of nowhere, a wild-looking man blocked their path. Before the doctor could speak, the man grabbed his shoulder and hurled him sideways down into a narrow crevice. Seconds later, Lyric and Grugan joined him in a heap. They were alive and out of reach of the tree corals. The wild man nimbly leapt down and stood over them. He wore a patchwork of shabby material augmented with broken pieces of shell and a breastplate of leathery skin, probably harvested from some slithering beast. A tarnished locket on a chain hung around his neck. Tattered gloved hands grasped a wooden staff, which was wrapped in rags at one end, presumably for lighting as a flaming torch. He stared impassively with sharp grey eyes set in a broken bearded face. The doctor grinned. Professor Merritt Erskine, I presume. It's you, isn't it? said Lyric. Is it you? Erskine fixed his gaze on her. Lyric reached out, but he flinched and took a defensive stance, raising his staff. It's me, Lyric, she said, shaking. Don't you recognise me? Please. Dad, you must recognise me. He's your old man, said Grugan. So that's why you came to Death Steel, said the Doctor. I didn't think you were a thrill-seeker or a space pirate's mole. Lyric remained focused on her father. Say something. I'm your daughter. She pointed towards the locket with a trembling finger. I gave that to you the last time I saw you. Erskine tucked the locket under his breastplate and finally spoke. I am the child, the father of none, none but everything. Everything all, all around, the father of paradise, father of my world. I am my world. You are on my world. Great. He's a loon, muttered Krogan. Shut up, snapped Lyric blinking away tears. The doctor edged forward. Professor Erskine, father of paradise, whatever you want to be called, if this is your world, you need to understand the danger that's coming. Danger is everywhere, so is salvation. At the top of the crevice, a series of spiny blades danced into view. The tree corals were attacking something, but were being cut to shreds. Little bits of severed branch fell all around. Then, oozing into the crevice, came a giant razor-backed slug, leaving a steaming trail in its wake. Dad, get back! yelled Lyric as the slug approached. Erskine regarded it for a moment and then shrugged as if it were nothing. He reached down to pick up some of the coral branches and stuffed them into a leathery bag slung over his shoulder. I will show you salvation. And Erskine strode away, heading further into the crevice. He doesn't know me. Sighed Lyric. The doctor put an arm around Lyric's shoulder. Give it time. Memories can be as complex as the universe itself. But right now, we have to get away from here. With the razor slug sliding closer, they all hurried after Erskine. This is a maze. The tunnel's just randomly crisscrossed. We could end up going in circles. Wait, I can see a light up ahead. Where? It could be a way out. No, just another cave-in where the tunnels converge. It's not blocking the way, we can climb over it. Crux, you coming? Why are you staring at the walls? They're all the same. Exactly. These tunnels were excavated. There are regular markings. Oh. 
scratch marks from some sort of mining equipment. No, I think something chewed its way through. One thing, or lots of things. We should keep moving. Donna clambered back over the debris, but stepped awkwardly off a rock. She stumbled down and trod into something spongy. It was a body. Until very recently, Donna had never seen a corpse. Since travelling with a doctor, she'd seen many. All the same, the state of this one made her gasp. The half-rotten, humanoid shape had been crushed, pulped, and then discarded. Crux appeared at her side and studied the remains. His eyes moved independently of each other, like those of a mantis. It's dead. You don't say, Sherlock. One more crash victim who didn't make it. But look at them. They've been mangled. It sounds like excavation. Something's moving through the earth. It's getting closer. Pick a tunnel. Any tunnel. There's no guarantee that any lead to safety. I'd sooner play Russian roulette than wait to find out what breaks through that wall. Come on! The Doctor, Lyric and Grugan followed Erskine into a deep canyon. A narrow brook trickled beside their path and the walls towered on either side. Colonies of coral were scattered around the rocks. They emerged to note the group's passing, but didn't seem to pose any threat. The wild man kept ahead of his followers at all times. Lyric had been subdued for the whole journey. What's your father a professor of? whispered the doctor. He's a planetary surveyor, she eventually replied. Job was to approve landing applications on planets with non-sentient life. He'd reject anything that would be harmful to the environment, like mining. As a family, we were always being dragged along to the front line of the next eco-protest. He used to tell us, if we don't protect the cosmos, who will? Good philosophy, noted the doctor. If you're an idiot, hissed Grugan. Mine is, if you don't protect yourself, who will? Lyric ignored him. Dad vanished six years ago. We had no idea where he'd gone. We used the activist network to investigate rumours. She nodded towards the sky. It was them. Wraith Mining and all their affiliates. They hate nothing more than a planetary surveyor with integrity. They tricked Dad into scanning Death Steel from orbit and then shot his craft down, leaving him for dead. Nothing could be proved, of course, and friends who went looking for him never came back. But you always thought he was alive, said the Doctor. He's tough and stubborn, she said, fighting back the tears. I believed he'd survive even here. And I was right. Grugan snorted. You weren't interested in the treasure after all, then. I thought you were too keen. Most girls hear space pirate and think it's all dark romance and plundering pleasure cruisers, suggesting we visit a planet where they might get eaten usually triggers second thoughts. Yeah, sorry, Tad, said Lyric, without any discernible trace of regret. I used you to get here. Your oversized ego is way too easy to flatter. Up ahead, Erskine stopped in front of a large coral colony that stretched about 20 metres along the canyon wall, with a cave entrance halfway down. As Erskine approached the cave, two hard-shelled beasts emerged, each propelled on a thousand tiny legs and with two large pincers held out like a scorpion's. Grugan readied his rifle. Wait, said the doctor. I think it's all right. The two crustaceans scuttled around Erskine, bumping against his legs. He reached into his bag and pulled out the tree coral branches he'd collected and threw them to the ground. The morsels were rapidly devoured. Erskine rubbed the tops of their shells, as if stroking two pet dogs, and then entered the cave. He tamed them, said Grugan. That's impossible. There's a strange harmony about this place, said the doctor, and they followed Erskine inside. As the Doctor passed over the threshold, it became apparent that this was not a cave, but another space wreck, presumably Erskine's ship. The outer hull had become a foothold for the coral. Inside it had been converted into a simple home. There was even a coral garden in one corner, which Erskine now tended. It's like a fairy grotto, said Lyric. The whole of the cabin had been gutted, but not from the crash. Erskine must have ripped out all the instrumentation himself. 
Professor, where are your records? asked the doctor. You must have kept something or else I wouldn't be here. Nothing but me and my world. I bring serenity and peace and tranquility and calm. Yes, yes, it's all very easy going, said the Doctor. And you've done a good job of destroying any technology, but your world is in danger. There are slaughter crystals on this planet and some very unpleasant people want them very badly. The slaughter of innocents. He's gone, Doctor, said Grugan. Let's face it, surviving on death's deal for six years would scuttle anybody's mind. The doctor examined where the flight controls should have been. There might be a data remnant stowed in the infrastructure. Like a black box. He buzzed the sonic along a wall. Nothing. No power. No records. No signals. Suddenly the whole ship shook. Doctor! Lyric jumped back as the two crustaceans burst in, pincers snapping in fury. Erskine recoiled from his coral garden. Tendrils were nipping at the air, trying to bite. The doctor stared at the sonic screwdriver. Hang on a minute. And he activated it again. The crustaceans swirled in his direction, but as soon as he turned the sonic off, they stopped in their tracks. Erskine dashed to the beasts, stroking their shells as if tending wounded pets. No, no, good friends. The coral garden had also returned to normal. The doctor pocketed the sonic. I've just worked out what the problem is with Death's Deal, he said. This planet isn't naturally the deadliest in the galaxy. It's alien technology that's causing it. What alien technology? asked Grugan. Everything that's not from this world, said the Doctor. Yours, mine. Every ship that crashes here adds to the crisis. All those unanswered distress signals are resonating with the coral. Hundreds of them are becoming amplified and sending the wildlife into a permanent frenzy. But not here, said Lyric. This canyon may be deep enough to act as a shield, said the Doctor. And this ship was gutted to make sure it didn't transmit any signals. Perhaps the Professor worked it out for himself. Erskine turned from calming his pets and looked at the Doctor with disgust. You bring your poisons into my world. Off-worlders, pillagers, demons! No, Professor, I want to help you. I want to fix this planet, but I need you to help me. Erskine grabbed his staff and pulled himself to his feet. His look of rage bore into the Doctor. You can help. You can die. Erskine ripped the tattered rags from the end of his staff to reveal a jagged shard, a blue-purple mineral that glowed from within. The Doctor backed against the wall, gaping in horror at the tip of the deadly spear. A slaughter crystal, he cried as Erskine advanced. And we're going deeper. I'd plump for any change of scene right now. Burning pit, crack of doom, nest of giant wood lice, anything but this endless bleeding tunnel. Donna, stop! Whoa! Another cave-in. You nearly smashed into it. It's completely blocked. It's a dead end. A real dead end. The only exit was back the way they'd come. Then, somewhere beyond Donna's torch beam came the sound of splitting rock and then a rasp like a thousand angry souls drowning in sand. Finally, emerging into the light, Donna saw an abhorrence crawling towards them. It filled the tunnel, a round, toothless maw that opened wide to show its wormish innards, dripping with muddy saliva and lined with bone-crushing muscle. Rows of barbed suckers erupted from its lips, grasping at the rock face and gnawing its way onwards. It was a living, tunnelling machine, and Donna and Crux were in its path. It's some form of terror worm. Our options are limited. In fact, there is only one. Anything's better than becoming worm food. That, unfortunately, is the option. Although the terror worm is large, it's a simple organism. It's possible that I will survive passing through the creature. You will probably not. Oh, well, thanks for nothing. The worm pushed forward another metre. It would soon be upon them. Then Crox did something that made Donna gag. He knelt, 
and suddenly his chest and abdomen split down the middle, opening up like a humanoid clam. Inside was an unrecognisable set of glistening entrails, dominated by a large white organ that gently pulsed. There is room for you inside. You've got to be kidding me. I can't. I can't get in there. If you want the chance to live, you must. Hold your breath long enough and we may both survive. The terror worm lurched forward. Donna looked at the tube of crushing flesh about to pulp them, then looked into Crux's grisly chest cavity. You sure this will work? No, but you have no choice. Donna eased herself between the two halves of his shell and curled up as tight as she could. There was no smell, but it was cool and wet. As his shell closed around her, she felt compressed against Crux's innards and she was consumed by a terrible feeling of claustrophobia. She took one last deep breath and closed her eyes. The shell snapped shut. She was entombed in darkness with only the sound of two pounding heartbeats, her own in her chest and Crux's in her ears. Immediately, Donna felt the impact of the worm as it engulfed Crux. They were buffeted and spun around by the worm's roller coaster of a digestive tract. Trying not to panic, Donna imagined it was like being on some fun ride. Like Zorbing. Yes, she'd done Zorbing on holiday in Spain. It felt like that. She'd hated it. Donna dared not breathe, but she wanted to so badly. She couldn't die. She had to get out, find the TARDIS and help the doctor. She had to. When Crux's shell finally opened and Donna slumped onto the floor, she took many long, deep breaths. Crux was bent over on his tentacles and knees. He staggered to his feet and resealed his shell. Using her torch, Donna caught sight of the back end of the terror worm, expelling digested earth and disappearing down a newly formed tunnel. Crux helped her to her feet. The only choice was the right choice, no? Yes. Are you okay? I have some shell fractures, but I will live. Thank you. I've never hugged a mollusk before, but come here, and I promise I'm never eating scallops again. A shrill rasp echoed back from the new tunnel and then went silent. Wherever that tunnel led, a faint blue glow was now seeping back through the dark. From the opposite direction, they heard the splitting of rock. More terror worms. I don't want to go through that again. And I won't survive it a second time. Then we go on. Besides, right now, blue is my favourite colour. Erskine waved the tip of the spear so close that the slaughter crystal illuminated the Doctor's face. Erskine's two pet crustaceans moved forward as if sensing their master's intent. Dad, don't do this, urged Lyric. Grugan's gaze fixed in wonder on the glowing crystal. That's a beauty, he said, and worth thousands, maybe more. Trust me, Grugan, you don't want it, said the doctor. The fact that it scares you so much, doctor, is exactly why I want it. Grugan raised his gun. Okay, old man, hand it over. With a survivor's dexterity, Erskine lunged and lashed out with a staff at Grugan's gun arm. Ow! The space pirate's rifle clattered across the floor out of reach. He rubbed his wrist vigorously and looked for damage. Hardly touch me, he said. The doctor looked. There was a tiny, insignificant scratch on Grugan's wrist. I'm sorry, Tad, said the doctor. I'm so, so sorry. What do you mean? It's nothing! It's... Oh, it... It stings! The scratch blackened before their eyes. Purple streaks flowed forth, entering Grugan's veins, travelling up his arm and discolouring the bright tattoos. I can't feel anything! I can't feel my arm! His expression became a bewildered boy's, a picture of fear as the poison swept through his body. As his eyes shot with black streaks, his skin blistered as if burning from the inside. I can't die! I can't! He stammered. Mum! I want my mum! 
Grugan hit the floor almost a dead weight, and within seconds his ravaged body was still. What happened? said Lyric, her voice faint. Spicit radiation condensed in the crystal, said the doctor. Safe at a distance, but not if it touches bare flesh. Lyric turned on her father. You didn't have to do that! This isn't you! A waste of life, a life of waste, too, will suffice. Suffice for what? said Lyric. Erskine did not reply, but motioned with the crystal blade that they should leave the ship. I guess we're going to find out, said the doctor. Donna and Crux crept down the tunnel towards the glow. As they reached the end, the blue light took on a purplish hue. They stepped into a massive underground cavern. The walls and ceiling were marbled with glowing blue-purple deposits. Are those slaughter crystals? I've never seen them before, but that would be a reasonable conclusion. Uh, do not touch them. They're the least of our worries. Look! The cavern was populated by a maze of tightly packed coral structures, like a living giant's causeway. Some were so tall that they penetrated the roof. Each coral shaft periodically sent out snaking feelers that ended in bulbous clubs. And then she saw it. Standing askew at the centre of the labyrinth, and her heart leapt for joy. The TARDIS! Result! Any idea how we reach it without getting eaten? Planning ahead is a luxury we do not have. Further back down the tunnel, Crux's phosphorescence illuminated the oncoming maw of another deadly terror worm. With the dual threat from snapping crustacean pincers and Erskine's slaughter crystal spear, the Doctor and Lyric had nowhere to go but forward. The canyon was unassailable. Small waterfalls had spilled into the brook, and it was now a wide stream. Yet it wasn't deep enough to swim or strong enough to carry them away. It would only hamper any escape. From up ahead, the Doctor heard the sound of rushing water echoing from beyond a curve in the canyon. He's going to kill us, isn't he? said Lyric. Not if I can help it, said the doctor. Then he noticed debris on the canyon floor. Bits of smashed equipment and ripped clothing. On rounding the curve, the canyon seemed to end. The sound of water was louder, but the stream suddenly vanished. They were on the precipice of a massive crater, maybe half a mile wide, where the stream dropped as a waterfall. All around the rim, other waterfalls from other canyons flowed into the deep depression. Lyric pointed to the ground, Alongside more discarded remnants of technology, there were several dark-coloured patches. Doctor, are those bloodstains? Is this where you make your sacrifices, Erskine? yelled the Doctor. Nobody survives on death's deal, that's what they say. But how many survivors did you murder? And for what? To what? Doctor, Lyric stared into the crater, gasping to speak. Something's down there. The doctor glanced down. The floor of the crater was alive and moving. A massive, slime-covered polyp with a million fronds bathed in the constant fall of water. Your time is done. I will be appeased. My world will flourish. Erskine tapped the two crustaceans with the base of his spear, driving them forward. You are not a god, Erskine, cried the doctor. And there's a bigger threat coming. You're going to destroy the world you love, pleaded Lyric. And the ones you left behind. That locket around your neck, when did you last open it? Erskine's hand went to touch the tarnished chain, but wavered. Do you remember what's inside? Continued Lyric. Open it. You'll see me and Mum. Your wife, Ella, she's still waiting for you. Open it and see. <coughs> He won't open it, said the doctor. Too many memories for his state of mind, too much information to handle. Enough! You tempt madness! I bring me peace! Flanked by his pets, Erskine pressed forward.
Donna and Crux sprinted towards the TARDIS, weaving among the coral structures and avoiding the thrashing clubs. They were halfway there when they heard a dying shriek. Donna looked back. A terror worm was being dragged towards a coral colony. Now all the corals were aggressively jostling each other and Donna and Crux were the only prey. The TARDIS was close, but Crux was slower than Donna and fell behind. Come on, we're almost there! Just then a large bulbous feeler swooped round and rammed Crux full in the chest. <coughs> he flew through the air, landing heavily. Donna rushed over to him. A large crack ran across his left side, weeping fluid. Go, leave me. No way! You get your barnacled backside into that box! The feeler curved back around, but now it had a choice of two victims. Donna looked about for something, anything to defend themselves with. She only had the pen torch. Leave him alone. If you're hungry, come and snack on me, you overgrown whelk. She shone the beam at the feeler. It was instantly attracted to the light, which drew it away from her injured friend. Then Donna threw the torch as far as she could. Her aim was good. It landed on a deposit of slaughter crystal. The feeler dived for the torch and crashed into the raw crystal. It shuddered from the shock and within seconds its flesh began to blacken and blister. Other feelers instantly withdrew, sliding back towards the safety of their colonies. Donna sprinted back to help Crux but he was heavy and too weak to stand. Donna pulled the TARDIS key from her pocket and unlocked the door. Crux slumped inside, dragging himself over the threshold. Now the other feelers had overcome their short-lived fear and were re-emerging. Donna slammed the door shut behind her and breathed. Crux's eyes bulged as he took in the TARDIS interior. Amazing. Crux, are you okay? Your shell is cracked, you're leaking. It looks serious. Thanks to you, Donna, I will live as long as I do not move. The TARDIS shook. Something had struck it. Then again, and again. The corals were trying to get inside and Donna wasn't convinced that they wouldn't succeed. She rushed to the central console and stared desperately at the controls. I need to signal the doctor. Just hope I don't drop us inside a black hole by mistake. And with that, she began to activate every dial, switch and button in sight. Doctor and Lyric balanced on the edge of the crater as Erskine advanced. The Doctor snatched the sonic screwdriver from inside his jacket. A signal from the TARDIS. Donna Noble, you star! But before he could send a reply, Erskine lunged at him. The Doctor instinctively stepped back, lost his footing and dropped the sonic. It landed precariously on a small outcrop of rock. The Doctor grasped the edge of the precipice. Below him, the giant polyp stirred. A gust of putrid air rushed past him as the centre of the slimy mass retracted, revealing a deep, open stomach. Erskine appeared and raised the spear to strike. Suddenly, Lyric bowled into him, knocking the weapon out of Erskine's hands, but taking them both over the edge. They tumbled down the slope, Erskine rolling further than his daughter. She was sprawled, face first, within an arm's length of him. Dad, don't move. I can reach you. <laughs> Erskine slid further away. Stay still, called the doctor, as he stretched his hand for the sonic. It was their only hope, but to reach it, he had to let go. Allons-y! He launched himself sideways and grabbed the trusty device before sliding towards Lyric. Hang on, yelled the doctor. The TARDIS will lock onto my signal. The resonating buzz of the sonic echoed round them. Below, the slimy mass convulsed and shook. Up on the precipice, the two crustaceans were suddenly locked in a savage fight. Hell-bent on killing each other, they pulled themselves over the edge, fell all the way into the giant stomach, and dissolved in its lake of acidic juice. No! Good friends lost, always lost! Erskine stared into Lyric's face, suddenly frowning with a long, distant recognition. With both hands, he pulled the tarnished locket from his neck, 
The movement caused him to slide faster, and this time he did not stop. Dad! Don't move! I have no memories. Take the... Take my memories! He threw the locket towards her, and then tumbled down and down, eventually bouncing onto the edge of the slimy mass. The polyp flexed its muscles, and the fronds tipped Erskine towards the stomach opening. Then, without a sound, he vanished forever. Speechless with shock, Lyric could only stare at the locket, all that was left of her father. She grabbed it, but immediately began to slide. No, no, no! called the doctor. He reached out and grasped her ankle as the crumbling walls of the crater carried them both towards their deaths. You did it! The doctor did it! He's got us on autopilot! Donna couldn't contain her relief at seeing the central column rise and fall, but within moments, it was still again. Donna realised the TARDIS was on the edge of a vast crater, one so huge that it astounded her. Doctor? Donna? Down here, quick! It was the Doctor. Donna peered over the edge and saw the Doctor and Lyric slipping towards something so massive, so monstrous, she could barely comprehend it as a living creature. Doctor, I can't reach you! Power coupling under the console, the red one. No, the green one! Hurry! Donna rushed back into the TARDIS and pulled up the floor grates. Green, 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 don't mess it up. She leapt down, saw the cable and tugged. The lights dimmed, leaving only the console aglow. Surely this cable wasn't long enough, but as she pulled, it kept coming from somewhere within the incredible craft. Donna dragged the cable through the door, braced it around a rock and hurled the end down towards the Doctor. She used all her might to stop it slipping, while the Doctor allowed Lyric to pull herself up. Then together, they hauled the Doctor to safety. I knew you'd find the TARDIS, he said, hugging Donna. And I knew you'd be okay. Had some help with that. He looked over at Lyric, who stared at Erskine's locket. She opened it. On each half was a picture, one of herself and one of her mother in happier days. Sandwiched in between was a small microdrive, she held it between thumb and forefinger. Is this what you need, Doctor? If we're not too late, he said, taking it. Into the TARDIS! There's still a planet to save! Crux is hurt. The Doctor took a quick look at the Mimicite's injury. We'll patch you up, big fella. Hold tight. Then he leapt towards the console. It's impossible, said Lyric, staring at the control room. Nothing's impossible with the Doctor. The Doctor threw the dematerialization lever and bounced over to the monitor. An image of the planet appeared. He inserted the microdrive into the console. I'm sure the galactic mining regulators will be grateful for this, he said. Doctor, I think we're too late. The monitor pictured three giant hulking spaceships moving towards Death's Deal. Mining processors, said Lyric. Doctor, if they go into orbit, I know then whatever happens, they'll still crash into the planet. Scanners show they're fully automated. So what does that mean? There's nobody on board to bargain with. Exactly, said the Doctor. But that's good, because it means I can do this. He thrust the sonic screwdriver into the console and activated it at full power. On screen, the three mining processors disintegrated into a million fragments, flying into Death's Deal's atmosphere, where they began to burn up harmlessly. Automated ships have destruct sequences, said the Doctor. Of course, criminals usually disable them, but that doesn't mean they can't be re-enabled, if you know how. And he tossed the sonic screwdriver in the air and pocketed it. Suddenly, an officious-sounding voice came through a speaker. This is Galactic Central. Code red received. Slaughter crystals present on death deal. Emergency measures initiated. A bit late now, said the Doctor. Trust the bureaucrats to be late to the party. Just like you said, Lyric. If we don't protect the cosmos, who else will? Now, just one more thing to do.
Donna felt as if she was stepping onto a different planet, a calmer one. The TARDIS stood on a ridge overlooking the coral field. She saw polyps swaying gently, almost serenely. The Doctor appeared by her side. Different, isn't it? He said. Now I've shut down the distress beacons, the wildlife should return to its natural state. So it's safe now? Well, you'd still want to keep your distance from some of those beasties. Just like you wouldn't cuddle a lion in the Serengeti. Tried that once. Really? Well, I say lion, more of an alien, mutant lion thing with commitment issues and a nosy mother. Honest. I believe you. Billions wouldn't. Crux and Lyric emerged from the TARDIS. The doctor had treated Crux's wound with medical cement and sealed the crack in his shell. You're as good as new, Crux. So where can we drop you two off? asked the doctor. Believe it or not, said Lyric, there's an official rescue team on its way. I think someone has to stick around to give an explanation. I get the feeling you two won't be. The doctor glanced at Donna. No, we're always moving on. Crux took Donna's hands in his tentacles. Thank you, Donna. It was a pleasure to survive with you. Likewise. What will you do now? I want to lead a full survey expedition to study this amazing world. It's almost a prehistoric version of my own planet. I feel it will be my life's work. I can't think of anyone better. You take care of yourself, Crux. Donna turned to Lyric, who was gazing sadly at the ground. And you, pirate girl? Thank you for looking after the Doctor. Yes, said the Doctor. Thank you, Lyric. It's a pity you only partly succeeded, said Lyric. Seeing the Doctor's quizzical frown, she went on. The message? Your future self told you to save my father, remember? He told me to save Erskine, said the Doctor. He didn't specify which one. He held out his hand, offering Lyric the Professor's microdrive. There's a lot of data on here. You'd be very interested. Perhaps you could even build on it. Assume your father's role and help protect the cosmos. Make sure slaughter crystals stay in the ground. Maybe that's your destiny. Who knows? Lyric looked hesitantly at the microdrive, but then took it. Who knows indeed, she said. And for the first time since they'd met, she smiled. Doctor Who. Death's Deal by Darren Jones was performed by Catherine Tate with Duncan Wisby as Crux and Erskine and is a big finish production for Audio Game.